Hello, hello. Long live the new flesh. <clears throat> this is the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about films off the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Best Horror Movies of All Time list. My name is, ooh, should I use my real name or should I use my uh, television name? Your special name special to name. stimulate the cathode ray tubes. Yes, well, we'll get to that because I, I, I've always been fascinated by that <laughs> element. Anyway, uh, my name's Clay. With me, is, as always, is Amanda. How are you doing, Amanda? I'm good. I'm here on a VHS tape talking to you. Yep. It's, <laughs> it's pretty amazing how you knew exactly what was going to be said to you it's it's funny because it when you when they first start talking about that mm-hmm. and and his daughter's like my father prefers the the monologue it's like oh, why could that be it's like oh because he just just talks and nobody it doesn't have to respond to anybody luckily everybody in this movie has an excellent sense of timing though. yes great edit job by his daughter for that tape they use on the tv show though because mm. he's like doing the Disney ride, Disneyland ride thing where he's like looking at the house yeah. and then looking over at the, the people and kind of like nodding in response. Turning to the next camera yeah, and turning to the next camera. But of course, we are talking today about Videodrome from 1983, number 170 on our list. It has an 81% Rotten Tomato score with an 80% audience score, so pretty even there. Mm. Uh, had you seen this one before? Yes, but it has been a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I feel like I maybe saw this one. I don't know. I feel like for the first time at some point in my early twenties. Yeah, and then again, maybe with some of our friends. Possibly. I feel like there was there was a time we all tried to watch it, and most people we watched it with hated it. That was probably my fault. <laughs> that sounds like something I did. <laughs> Did we watch? I think we might have watched it at a condo once. That sounds I think, right. I think we did. Um, yeah, I I will say not to jump too far ahead, but I actually think I enjoyed it the most this time around. Oh, excellent! Yeah, excellent. Yeah, it's grown on me. Yeah, like a tumor in my uh, brain. Uh, I probably saw this for the first time around the same age, probably early twenties, maybe. Mm. I I know I definitely watched it with our friend jim i think the first mm. time so that was either just that was probably some summer in college so i'm just imagining the two of you uncomfortably sitting next to one another during the like sadomasochism scenes you know at that point <laughs> like we've seen so we used to do um 24 hour well expanded past 24 hours but 24 hour movie marathons every year <clears throat> we started in, on um 666 6606 nice. And we went till 12, 12, 12. So we did it for six years. Wow. And we expanded from the first year was 24 hours. Uh, the second year, I think it was 24 hours, but there was some change. I can't remember what it was, and it almost killed me. Because <laughs> like around four o'clock in the morning, I started like getting like chest pains and stuff. And I was like, I, I don't know if we can do this anymore. So then we adjusted yeah. it to... We we spread. I think we shot for a certain number of movies over mm. a certain number of days, like a weekend. Okay, and then expanded as you know our lives got more complicated. Yes. into um, it would be like a week long thing mm. where we would watch a couple movies every day, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and then the final year was sort of a best of mm. of all the things we had watched, and it ended with we rented out the micro cinema at the Somerville Theater, where we did the Rocky thing. I think I was there for part of this. Yeah, you might. Yeah, you probably were. It you was early, been. early days of me knowing that would have been you. very early. Yeah, yeah, twelve. Yeah, yeah. And we watched. Um, it was. It's funny. I put it up for a vote because I wanted to. We we definitely wanted to watch the Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. 
But the other movie, we put it up for a vote. I can't remember what the other movies were, but one of them was Werner Herzog's Nosferatu. <laughs> and somehow that won. <laughs> I, I was not expecting that to win. Sometimes I don't understand our group of friends. And it wasn't even just them. It was like, I, I put this was like a Facebook event of like oh. just people I knew. Wow. And so everyone was like, yeah, let's watch the Nosferatu. <laughs> sure. Jesus. Okay. All right. Um, but that was great. I wish we, I, we've been debating trying to bring it back in some form, but mm. we just haven't figured out how to do it yet because everybody's got lives now and stuff. <laughs> Adulthood. Anyway, long long story short, I think I might have watched Videodrome for the first time mm-hmm. mixed in there somewhere. Sure, makes um, sense. I really enjoyed it, and I I I because that was I was probably making my way through most of Cronenberg's movies at mm-hmm. that time, which and I I hooked into him pretty quickly. Yeah, um, he's really interesting because he kind of starts off really schlocky and then he mm-hmm. goes really cerebral. Like yeah. the stuff he made in the '90s, post crash, yeah, are don't really feel like Cronenberg movies. But mm-hmm. well, we can get into that. Too. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, that's probably enough of that. Uh, we'll play the trailer for you, and we will get into Videodrome. Why would anybody watch a scum show like Videodrome? Why did you watch it, Max? Business reasons. Sure. What about the other reasons? Max Wren is a victim. I woke up with a headache. He has been exposed to Videodrome. I've been hallucinating for a while, ever since... What? Since I first saw Videodrome. His brain is already receiving video images. I think that massive doses of Videodrome signal will ultimately produce and control hallucination to the point that it will change human reality. Soon, his visions will coalesce and become uncontrollable flesh. Videodrome is seducing Max Wren. Please, come to me now. Come to Nikki. And Max Wren can do nothing to stop it. What makes you think I need help? None of our test subjects has returned to normality. Television can change your mind. Videodrome will change your body. Long live the new flesh. It will shatter your reality. Videodrome. Videodrome. Starring Deborah Harry and James Woods. A shocking new vision from the creator of Scanners. Coming soon to a theater near you from Universal Pictures. Okay, Videodrome. Written and directed by David Cronenberg. Starring James Woods, Debbie Harry, Sona Smits, Peter Dvorsky, Leslie Carlson, Jack Creeley, and a philosophy... And that's what makes it dangerous. Very nice. Amanda, what happens? In, try to sum up what happens in video <laughs> Here's what the internet has told me, folks. As the president of a trashy TV channel, Max Wren is desperate for new programming to attract viewers. When he happens upon Videodrome, a TV show dedicated to gratuitous torture and punishment, Max sees a potential hit and, broadcasts the, and wants to broadcast the show on his channel. 
However, after his girlfriend auditions for the show and never returns, Max investigates the truth behind Videodrome and discovers that the graphic violence may not be as fake as he thought. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad summary. That's pretty good. Yeah. It leaves out most of the subtext. I mean... And thematic work. But by necessity, a summary. Yeah. I mean, at least it wasn't lost. like, James Woods owns a television station. James Woods likes TV. Too, a little too much. <laughs> a little too much, if you know what I mean. Well, Clay, some things you'll find in Videodrome include... Mm-hmm. Bad Dom James Woods. Yeah. Um, He's just bad at it. Yeah. I don't believe it. I, you know, that's, well, to be fair to him. He doesn't really want to do it. Yeah, it's a pretty adventurous <laughs> first date to be to be on with a woman. No. Nope. Who's like, hey, let's go back to your house and hang out. By the way, could you cut me on my shoulder <laughs> real quick? Yeah, he's still bad at it. Bad Dom James Woods. A geisha dildo. Yeah, you don't see those very often. No, rarity. Yeah. What's rarity. fun is uh, on the, the Criterion DVD, which I, I have, they it has the in, everything they shot for the samurai dreams sequence oh my god so it's you know it's not a ton of stuff but it's just all the footage yeah. they shot for that stupid tv show wow uh a woman in a dress as red as the flags she's putting up yes uh, i that goes <laughs> under the 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 bad dom james wood category i think she's yeah. um she's very interesting uh i i i don't know what to make of her and I, in a way that I don't know what to make of him. Like, I'm, their yeah. relationship is very odd. Oh, we'll get into it. Yeah, okay. No worries. Uh, chest gina dentata. Yes. For lack of a better term. It's very clever, Amanda. Thank you, Clay. It's almost as if I didn't write it. What? Come on. <laughs> I wouldn't say that if you didn't write it. Conversations via cassette tapes. Yep. A cougar named Masha. Yep. Derelicts. Many. Uh, they also, they solve the homelessness problem via television watching tv honestly <laughs> yeah, that's I'm surprised. what's gonna reintegrate you into society you know what let's try it <laughs> can't be worse than no, what we're doing now it in america can't be. it literally couldn't be worse <laughs> instead of just taking bulldozers and pushing all their shit into the ocean uh why don't we just give them all tvs and see what no, happens no, no. see i i have the solution to all problems mm-hmm. the cathode ray tube mm. the world mixing board mm-hmm. and the video word made flesh oh yeah there you go I, I think someone should run on this platform for public office. I mean, if Donald Trump knew what any of those words meant, that could be his platform. Yeah, but I don't want to vote for him. I want to vote yeah. for that platform <laughs> so I can get a long live the new flesh yeah. bumper sticker to put on my mother's lawn. New flesh 2024. Yeah. I mean, yeah, based on the options. Let's do it. Mm. Uh, so, yes, Videodrome. Uh, this is a movie that. Yes, Clay. Please tell us. Oh, I I don't know. I'm 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 don't really know how to drop into this one. Uh, you said that so early before I even said something stupid. <laughs> I just the look on your face. I could see the searching in your eyes. Of like, where am I going to take this? Yeah, this is a movie that I I haven't watched this probably since that time I drove everybody out of the room. <laughs> Which I only vaguely remember. <laughs> and um, I remember at the time being struck by how prescient it was even then as far yeah. as some of the things he uh, Cronenberg had 
predicted like the, the um the the one that has always stood out to me is he mm. basically predicts screen names. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the way that Brian Oblivion talks about, you know, professor. Per, sorry, professor. <laughs> He didn't record all those tapes to be called Mr. Oblivion. <laughs> he didn't spend six years in videotape school yes. to be called Mr. Um, but yeah, yeah, the special, well, soon we'll all have special names, yeah. is what he says. Do you remember your first screen name? Oh, God. I don't. No. Shit. You're lying to me. I know no, you do. No, I really want to. It's something really embarrassing. It is. It? it is. It had the word dark in it. Nice. I don't remember the rest. It started with dark and then it, it got, probably got worse from there. In my very first experiences online talking mm-hmm. to people I didn't know, mm-hmm. I pretended that I was Cajun for an entire week. <laughs> so specific. I know. It was really dumb. <laughs> it's really weirdly specific. And they never like, I'm sure it was clearly obvious it was not, you know, because most yes. Cajun people don't right in as, their accent as, yeah. <laughs> i assume you were just I not was just, the weirdest weirdo on the internet so everybody went fine He's i was harmless. just all just i was doing i was writing dialogue for gambit from the x-men yeah. cartoon and they apparently seemed to be fine with it share oh i did a hundred percent a hundred percent and i thought i was nailing it but see all i did was just pretend i was about 10 years older than i actually was which... yeah that's that's the other thing yep. yeah um my i think i might have told this before on another show but when Mm -hmm. i was looking so when i finally got my own screen name because when we started it was like a family account for aol Ah. when i got my own screen name i tried to think of the most obscure comic book thing Mm -hmm. i could possibly possibly think of (laughs) and so what i came up with was big hero six oh which at the time was an extremely obscure Marvel Comics uh, X-Men offshoot superhero team. Mm. Um, I did not realize they'd be making an animated feature out of it about 15 years later. Yeah. And everybody would know what Big Hero 6 was, even though it's not, that's not my Big Hero 6. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was one of those things where it was like, I just, another of the, another of those things where that I knew about comics that I was like, no one's ever going to care about this. And mm. now it's just popular culture that everybody knows. Yep. Uh, the funny thing, funny thing about it was, I had that name all through high school, mm-hmm. and then towards the end of my senior year, or somewhere in my senior year, I got a message from Big Hero Six with two G's, mm-hmm. who was asking me if I if they could have the name, Wait, because yeah, what? it was they. This person who messaged me was Big B I G G Hero Six. Yes, and they were asking if I would give up my name so they could have it. Why? Because that was the name of their band. And I said, no. Or you know what? I I said, you know what? When I go to college, it's all yours. And then I never talk to the person ever again. (laughs) I mean, you should have said no, because I think they would have gotten sued if they had made any headway as a band. Yeah. I mean, I would have gotten a cease and desist from from Marvel at some point. Yeah. I'm going to wish them retroactively wish them all the luck in the world. But (laughs) I don't know if they I don't know if they made it. Um, but yeah, it, so the screen name thing always stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a movie that I always kind of like, even though I wasn't totally sure exactly what was going on, Yeah, I kind of like understood it. Yeah, I think that's actually a good way of kind of expressing 
feelings towards this movie where it's like if you ask me specifically what each character was trying to do or accomplish Mm -hmm. and how I probably can't tell you and if you ask me for concrete like okay so what happened at this point right why did this happen I wouldn't be able to tell you but I still feel like I understand what the movie is trying yeah to convey thematically yeah the uh, this time watching it I I was quite taken by it because mm-hmm. I felt I understood it a lot more because I f- kind of feel like we're living through it. Yeah. Um, because it made a lot more sense to me as far as like w- it being the story of essentially someone who ends up in the spiral. Let's shift this up a couple decades. Mm-hmm. The story of a person who is spiraling down into the depths of the internet yep. and ends up radicalized yep. and ends up doing something really stupid. Yes. And, uh, and there's a there's a line that really stood out to me, uh, which was... Uh, you know, I wrote it down, but, you know... Oh, <laughs> television is reality and reality is less than television. Mm-hmm. And it, I just kind of clicked that up a few places into the internet... And I was oh, like, yeah. yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That's yeah. the whole that's the whole thing. Because like fundamentally this movie is about media and the medium mm-hmm. and like mediated experience mm. where it it's there's that sort of hokey what is it, the the message is the medium? Isn't that like a oh, thing yes. that people will kind of shorthand their way in and out of stuff? Yeah, by, by that's saying uh it? um the me- the medium is the message. I think it's it's a it's a Marshall McLuhan yeah. thing. Yeah, one, it, one one of those in one of those directions. Yeah, yeah, which is Marshall McLuhan is actually who Brian Oblivion is based on. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well then, yeah. um, but this really leans into that mm-hmm. kind of philosophy as, as as a foundational text, and then like nowadays, especially looking back on this movie the idea of mediated experience becoming more real to people than reality. Because if, if you go to a concert Mm -hmm. nowadays and I'm guilty of this as well, people are taking pictures and video, Mm -hmm. even though they are in front of the band. Right. Yes. And so you're busy focused on what your phone is capturing rather than the thing that's actually happening in front of you. Mm -hmm. And we all do that a ton. I mean, there's there's like augmented reality and stuff now have, via apps and, and like VR headsets and stuff. Have you experienced anybody taking pictures of a movie screen? Because I have. And it's it's really it's I feel for those people because it's really stupid. I've seen yeah. with the flash on. The only time I've ever done I've ever done something like that is if we are seeing something that's not usually in theaters and yeah. I will sneak a quick picture of like the opening moment where the like the, the title of the film comes across the screen or yeah. something like some iconic quick moment like that just to like send to a friend and be like look what I'm doing. Yeah, when I was the only person in the theater to watch The Pope's Exorcist, mm-hmm. I whipped out my phone and took a video of that Vespa scene <laughs> and sent <laughs> yes. it to everybody and yes. said you have to watch yes, this movie. Yes, you did. You sent it to me and told me I had to watch that movie. Um which I think is like this it's a good ju- this is a good jumping off point because no one is immune to this. Right. Yeah. Like we're we're so mired in a culture that has normalized this type of behavior that it's weirder to be the person who doesn't do it or, or you know like if you're on the subway everyone's on their phone. Right. Everyone's got earbuds in. Nobody's like just sitting reading a paper book 
let alone sitting doing nothing, Mm -hmm. which is what people used to have to do on the train. Nightmare. Like you either carried a book or a newspaper or magazine with you or you sat there and you did nothing. iPod, CD player. My iPod is the only thing that got me through traveling the subway in New York. Not much further back than that before, you know, before there were portable cassette players and things. You had to just sit there Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you didn't get to have an extra layer between you and the world around you. Right. And now that's the default. And I think it's fascinating that this movie came out 40 years ago. This is its 40th anniversary. Yeah. And it was very much in in line with what the future was going to look like. Yeah. For for humanity. How do you feel about it? Because as I was watching it. I was thinking about um I actually on the on the DVD there's a short half hour television program where Mick Garris who is another mm-hmm. uh horror filmmaker mm-hmm. interviews John Landis, John Carpenter and David Cronenberg. Mm. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's what pretty, a crew. It's pretty funny cuz like Cronenberg <laughs> and Carpenter are pretty you know, uh, straightforward and mm. Landis. I, I it, you can kind of tell that they kind of think Landis is a bit of a goofball, yeah. but because <laughs> he's always like kind of joking and like looking over at them. And yeah, just, he's like playing for an audience yeah. a little bit, and John Carpenter's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" But Landis, Landis, uh, um, uh, Mick Garris asked Landis about any uh, problems he's had with the MPAA and, and, mm. and ratings and stuff like that, and mm. he he talks about how well the the rating system in America is governed by what the current more mores of the culture is. Mm-hmm. And Cronenberg jumps off from there and he says, well, you got to remember that America is one of the only countries in the world who doesn't have state-mandated censorship, including yeah. ca- Canada, where when you make a movie for Canada, they take the movie, they cut the movie how they want, and oh. then they will destroy the footage that they cut out Oh, and wow. if, you, if you get caught projecting that footage, you will go to jail. Is that still true today? I have to assume no. Okay. <laughs> I really hope not. I mean, that just seems wild. Yeah. Um, and it, it made me think about this movie from the standpoint of... Um, so basically, the reason I brought that up is because Cronenberg doesn't seem like the kind of person who is censor inclined he doesn't seem like a conservative filmmaker no in fact i think a lot of this movie is is anti-censorship well that's what i was gonna i was gonna ask is do you do you feel this is explicitly anti-censorship or do you think that because i couldn't help but think there was a little bit of well the point of this movie is kind of the material that you're watching rots your brain Mm. so i how did you how did you come down but the material doesn't rot the brain the signal they've developed rots the brain. True, but the material is specifically activating a part of your brain that makes you more susceptible, accessible, susceptible to sure, that. Sure, sure, but like you could argue any heightened emotional state might do that. Sure. You know, like like I, I in my opinion, the kind of this movie comes down more on the side of like I might it, what what is what do they say I, about like free speech and stuff like I might disagree with everything you're saying but I'll defend your right to say right. it to, to the death yes like it, it's kind of like that like I might dislike everything you're watching but I believe in your right to watch it sure yeah um because this in in the movie Barry is it Barry convex yes one of the amazing names one of the several Great amazing name. names in this movie um 
he and his organi- organization are using the Videodrome signal and they want to use Max's channel to target specific parts of the population that they deem undesirable. Mm. They think these are the people who are making America quote unquote soft. Right. And they want to eliminate them. So it's kind of like, yeah, you can watch the horrible shit you want to watch, but you're going to get what we think you deserve for Mm. watching it, Mm -hmm. which is death. Right. You're going to get punished for it. And what is a more effective censorship ultimately than that? Sure. Like at first you're going to catch a bunch of people, but, but eventually people are going to, people are going to realize what's happening Mm -hmm. and it's going to make everybody say, Oh, well I can't trust anything I watch now because I I might be getting the signal fed into my brain. Mm -hmm. And so the only things that are safe to watch are what the government says it's safe to watch Mm -hmm. or these things that are so anesthetized that they don't arouse any strong feelings in you. So you're not susceptible to that frequency or or whatever yeah so i really think this movie is kind of showing like how censorship could be used to like curtail and manipulate an entire population and like emotional expression within it yeah i uh (coughs) excuse me (coughs) coughing my lungs out here yeah your tumor filled lungs yeah i got shot with a tumor gun too much (laughs) um (laughs) Yeah, I, I found one of, the, one of the more interesting aspects of it is that as James Woods, as Max goes down the rabbit hole, mm-hmm. the thing, he he doesn't get cured of mm-hmm. the Videodrome. He no. just gets counter-programmed. Yeah. Um, and the, the I, I, I was very fascinated by the cathode ray mission mm-hmm. and this idea of the world mixing board yeah of of taking um is there a word they use is it vagrants or derelicts derelicts yeah. that's right <laughs> and using having them watch tv to patch them back into yeah. the uh which which is ult- ultimately they present the cathode ray mission as sort of a positive force but it still mm-hmm. seems pretty cynical well, it's interesting because if again, if you extrapolate these concepts forward a few decades to now, this is the argument for making five G available everywhere. Right. Yeah. Good is point. that mm-hmm. people need the internet? People yep. need the internet to communicate with one another. They need the internet for healthcare now. They need the internet for jobs. Mm-hmm. The way to get people back integrated into society. And as I keep like half jokingly bringing up what what they they say, um, patched back into the world mixing board, mm. is to get them online. Right. It's more important for a lot of people to have a smartphone than it is for them to have a home. Yep. Mm-hmm. And there are all these practical reasons why that argument is is kind of true, but it really does make you think about like what kind of world do we live in that that's the case. Yeah. So, yeah, again, I just I keep being blown away over and over again by how prescient this movie really, really feels. Yeah. And I think this is more this is I was a little bit surprised that this wasn't um, a video nasty, frankly, because it's of the era and it has a lot of the same. I I think at the time you can probably Mm -hmm. watch this and feel like it's a reaction to that, that sort of moral panic type stuff. Yeah. 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 But it's but it's really like. It's a lot bigger than that. 
Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if I feel fortunate or unfortunate to be in a moment in time where it's like, oh, no, I get Videodrome now. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I, I, I get this even more than I did 10 years ago yeah. when I first saw it. Um, because I also think, and I, I will I will leave the comparisons to modern day alone after this, but I, I just have to say I think it's fascinating that, you know, Max hallucinates mm-hmm. and he can't distinguish TV in reality, his own nightmares. They're all kind of, they've all really blended together. Yeah. And we are quite literally entering that phase of the human experience with like deep fakes. Oh yeah. And all of this shit where it's like AI is impersonating people in like all of, all of the customer service chatbots are AI. Yeah. All of them. Even the ones that text with you that are like, hi, my name is Sandra. Most of those are AI. Yeah. And it's, easy to conflate them with a real person yeah and we are like actively living in that the fact that like you can see something on the internet or on tv that looks extremely real and is completely faked and there's no it's getting harder and harder to tell the difference so like the way max's hallucinations progressively start taking over his life in the movie Mm. it gets to the point where you're kind of unsure which things are really happening? Yeah. Like when he when he gets programmed by Convex to go kill his partners, there's a serious moment for me where I doubt that what he thinks is happening is really happening. Yeah, there was a point when I was watching it this time, there was a point where I started thinking, oh, is everything after he puts the helmet on a hallucination? Right, yeah. I kind of had a moment where I was like, oh, did I forget that in, in a minute? Like in the next couple scenes, they're going to take the helmet off and it's going to have all been faked. Right. And instead, no, keeps going. Well, the thing that stood out to me this time is sort of <clears throat> uh, using the modern lens a bit to look at it. Mm. What it kind of, what kind of struck me this time is that, oh, well it doesn't really matter because what we're actually, what Cronenberg is actually doing is putting us inside the mind of someone who is falling apart. Mm -hmm. And so watching this movie going like, I don't know what's real. I don't know what, this doesn't make any sense. Like that's Mm -hmm. kind of the point because when um, you mentioned when Barry convex, it's Mm -hmm. like, you need to kill your, kill your partners. Yeah. And I, I found that to be, that stood out to me as like, the the height of the delusional moment mm-hmm. because what he's being tasked to do is to kill his partners so this company can take over a shitty television station and it's right, like right and he's going in there and he's shooting these people and killing these people do this thing and the thing that they keep repeating is kill your partners so we yeah. can take your station it's like this is insane yes like they why would these people want a tiny fucking it's shitty like it's a paranoid TV station? delusion right yeah. yeah and they put you right inside of this paranoid delusion right um that the the climax of which is him shooting barry convex in the middle of what is a pretty uh um lame yeah com- uh, conference with a medieval attacky medieval themed yes. eyewear based dance number they're the Medici-, medici line okay yeah and so it's it's one of those things where it's like the line is so uh unclear mm-hmm. that the the uh lack of clarity i think is the point right like there's an interpretation of this of this movie that after a point 
everything that happens is a hallucination mm-hmm. and it really is just a man going crazy right and yeah. that in in the in the quote-unquote real world of the movie he's just running around muttering to himself and shooting people yeah like none of the rest of the weirdness is happening there yeah. was no big conspiracy there has been no videodrome it's all just in his head yeah the the thing where he ends up going to shoot his partners yeah. to me was like walking into a pizza parlor and shooting people yeah shooting up a pizza parlor because you think that there's satanists in the basement or whatever right you know? yeah <clears throat> and it's uh, i it's uh it's it's i never thought that it would play that clearly to me yeah because anytime i've seen it it's like yeah i kind of i'm more or less get what's going on right and it's it's pretty all the effects are really awesome and it's more kind of about the feel and the impression than anything else mm-hmm. and this time i was like oh i fucking get it now <laughs> This movie also, because it's dealing with these themes and this kind of subject matter, it's this beautiful marriage of like what Cronenberg seems to be trying to convey and also his style of Mm. directing and the way he wants people to perform. Because in so many of his movies, one of my main problems at times is that his, his characters don't act like humans. Very, yeah. Like Especially the, the early one. Have you ever seen yes. an interview with him? Uh, uh, probably. They, I'm sure I have. They more act like him. Because yes. he can be very robotic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, he, he seems to have, like, a, a level of puzzlement yeah. around human behavior. And in some of his movies, that can be a little bit of a barrier. I think especially in movies where it's showing, like, parent-child relationships Mm -hmm. or married couples or, you know, like, things like that. It can get a little, like, nobody would treat their their kid that way. You you know? This movie, none of those relationships exist. Right. There are no children in this movie. Um, Nobody's married. Mm-hmm. People are kind of a, a little like he he's dating Nikki, but he's not really like right. he, he's clearly not the only person dating Nikki. And he's clearly like passionately obsessed with her in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, but he's not trying to like get her into a, a monogamous traditional relationship. Right. Like he's not. In, no one's interested in that. Like the normal relationships that exist in society that bind people together don't exist in this movie. Right. Um, And that actually makes everybody's weird ass behavior (laughs) make a lot more sense. It does, yeah. Because everybody is sort of having these really siloed off experiences. Whether it's because they're busy watching TV or because they work in the TV industry. Like, they're, they're at a remove at all times from one another. And that behavior meshes so well with what the themes of the movie are that it Mm. just like really works in a way that makes me question less like well if he was in love with her why would he treat her that way you know there's none of that there's it's just really deep in max's experience it's really deep in his perception of the world yeah and it's it's interesting to me that the the relationships that they show you are all based around media yeah because it's i i uh, Max asks her out on TV yes. while they're being recorded. Yes. Um, the next time you see them interacting, it's through a pane of glass while she's doing her radio show. Mm-hmm. Then when they have their date, you don't see the date part. You see right. the the part where they're watching TV afterwards and you yeah. know, p- 
poking each other. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> Gotta wonder, did she bring her own needle? I don't know. That's a good question. Because, like, why does he have that? I don't know. And if it was his, like, I don't know, is that sterile? Maybe he had an inkling to pierce his own ears once and he just didn't go through with it. You know, But, you know, sometimes you're like, I'm going to make a, this dish... And you buy the stuff, <laughs> and then you're just like, ah, I'm just going to have a sure, cheeseburger. Sure, I'm going to have these body piercings. You buy yeah. all the stuff, and then you go, Meh. Yeah. What do you think of, what do you think of Max? I think, I think his, one of the things that makes mm. this movie really work is I think that the casting is excellent. Yeah. Because James Woods for Max, um, what separates this movie, one of the things that separates this from something like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where mm-hmm. you have a central figure who's sort of uncovering this secret plot kind of thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of times those characters are, for lack of a better term, fairly righteous. Yeah. And uh, I think one of the things that makes this really work is that Max is the absolute, and thanks to James Woods, mm-hmm. the absolute right level of sleazy. Like you don't yes. think that he's necessary. He's not like a bad guy, but he's... He's not a he's not a pure heart, you know. Yeah, so it's it's it was really fun watching this movie because the movie we did most recently for our Patreon coverage was Toby Hooper's Funhouse. Mm-hmm. Patreon.com slash sorry Patreon <laughs> Patreon.com <laughs> Patreon.com slash Penske Fun. And this is how everybody realizes that Clay is just an AI that yes. I talk to on this podcast. Yes. Um. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> But that movie is very, very sleazy. Yes. In a different way than this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, the Funhouse has, we talked about it, there's a level of sleaze to it that is ominous. Yeah. Like, you feel kind of like criminal happenings are <laughs> occurring around every corner. You feel like the tape, when you take it out of the VCR, mm. is going to have, like, a, a film on it, like a greasy yes. film yes. on it. Yeah. yeah. In this, things are overtly sleazy but it's like more matter of fact Mm. it's not it's not with the same level of like maliciousness it's It's a sleaze with an ethos yeah or like maybe there's like moral degradation Mm -hmm. but it's not in service of overt evil right it's not sleaziness as a, a a sign that all of these people are bad and they're all horrible and they're going to do horrible things. Yeah. It's more of like a symptom of society <laughs> and the fact that we've devalued certain things while overvaluing others. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just like the soup everybody has to live in. Yeah. Rather than any specific like thing that has occurred via somebody's motives. Like no one no one has tried to make things sleazier. <laughs> In Videodrome, they just are. Yeah, Max Max exists to serve an audience. Yes, he exists exists in this pocket where he's trying to make a living Mm -hmm. with a small television channel. Yeah, and he knows that in order to do that, he needs to provide something more intense than people can get anywhere else. So he's actively combing the bottom of the barrel. Right. Which, when pressed on it, he (laughs) comes up with the like, well, you know, it's about 
people getting to see it's a catharsis and like yes. that, that bullshit excuse yeah. as, yeah. as his cover I liked, I liked what Bianca Bianca Oblivion said when she met him which was you said something trite about emotion yes. and catharsis etc cetera, etc cetera. like yeah. like she kind of was like yeah we know it's bullshit yeah it's yeah. it's great too because they have that scene where he kind of gives that bullshit answer and then shortly yeah. after that is I think the scene where he and his partners are watching or is it the is or maybe it's before maybe the samurai dreams is before yeah, i think and, samurai dreams is before and they're like just talking about like ah, it's not hardcore and like they're yeah they're, they know that soft yeah, they, yeah. The, the the sleaze is what sells yes and as much as you want to sugarcoat that that's he knows that right which is why what drives him to video drone but at the same time like the difference between the sleaziness in the fun house and the sleaziness in Videodrome is that in the fun house, it is immediate. Yes. Like it is, it is the world you're living in. It's right in front of you. It's your experience of everything. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Videodrome, a lot of the sleaziness is again, it's that mediated experience. You're mm. getting it through the television. And if everything else around you is kind of falling into disrepair, you're not noticing because you're busy over here with the TV. Right. But it's not the same as like, actively creating that environment it's just like passively letting things fall into this sort of lowest common denominator Mm -hmm. um but i i think james woods is amazing in this movie he's a great actor and i think he is like you said he's the right level of sleazy and he's the right level of charming yeah like i get why people like him like max the character i understand why even though he's this kind of, you know, he's in this sort of unsavory industry and he's having a morally questionable effect on society, you're sort of like, yeah, but he's not a bad guy. Right, he's yeah. He's Max. He's kind of fun. Like, he's he seems sort of cool. He's, he's kind of funny. Yeah, like, the way that he banters with Masha is mm-hmm. very funny where he, where she's like, what do I get? And he's like, you can take a shower with me. <laughs> that was yes, funny. yes. Um, yeah, and even if like when he first goes into Bianca's office and he keeps saying, "Love the view," yeah, love the view, <laughs> and it's just like he's not insulting anyone, he's not mistreating anyone. Well, there is a very quick when he's walking through the halls of his office. There's a, a woman getting coffee, and he just does give a little ass little grab, butt grab. Yeah, but she just gives him a big smile. So yeah. maybe they have. Maybe they had a thing. Yeah, maybe she grabs his butt and he grabs hers, and everything's fine. Yeah, I mean, it's not a the most PC work environment, but if it works for them. Um, But the other thing I find really compelling about him is that he's not all in on the sadomasochism. Yes. Like he is seduced by it and he clearly finds it compelling, but Mm -hmm. he has a struggle within himself. You can like tell in moments with Nikki where he he cannot resist her, but part of him knows he should try. Yeah, Nikki is definitely the the kind of girlfriend that in your fantasies you think you want, yeah. but then you realize you're in way over your head. I this is like the hokiest possible <clears throat> reference I could make, but she reminds me of the TLC song Waterfalls. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which first? All of them. All of that whole song is about like biting off more than you can chew mm-hmm. in the form of like other relationships, like human relationships. Yeah. Um, Gang violence, AIDS, <laughs> video drum. Yeah. That's but, their, uh, m- most I people mean, forget. They never play <laughs> the extended yeah. full left eye rap 
Yeah. When they played on the radio. Yeah, where she says, long live the new flesh. Yeah, every, it's about Videodrome. Yeah. Um, but she she is pushing Max further than he would have gone on his own. Yes. Like, like right away. He's not the type of guy who sleeps with women and routinely hurts them. Right. Like, that's clearly not when she's like, you could cut me. Just kind of like in conversation. She, she's Very like, casually. Yeah, you could, you could cut me. You could cut me right here. And he's like, what? <laughs> Why would I do that? Why do you have cuts there? Oh, mm-hmm. just a friend. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. This is a, like, she's always pushing him further and further into it. And he's not the most active participant all the time. Right. Like, he sort of. He gets there eventually with her encouragement, but it's it's clearly not like his comfort zone right? to yeah. be that kind of guy. Yeah. And I think that, that seeing that he's not fully bought in to, to the sort of sleaze that he shows on his channel, mm-hmm. like he still has some, for a while at least, separation between like, yeah, this is the stuff we show, but that's not what I want to do. Right, he's like the 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 movie producer or director who makes horror movies. Who's like, I actually don't really care for horror movies. Yeah, yeah, I've always been more of a rom com person myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's the Jamie Lee Curtis thing where she was in like five horror movies. She's right, like, but she I hates hate them. horror movies. <laughs> I never watch them. Yeah, I I also have to say I think Debbie Harry is amazing in this. I was going to ask you uh, next about about uh, Nikki about our walking red flag. Yes, she's so good. She is, I I was reading this, um, I, I came across this retrospective by a guy named Walter Cha mm. that's on RogerEbert.com, came out, it was out in February, really, really good article, highly recommend it, mm. and uh, it talks a, a bit about her in that like, almost part of the, in part of the thematics of the film plays off the fact that the person who is Nikki is mm-hmm. a internationally known pop star or mm-hmm. rock star yeah who is kind of playing the sort of woman you fantasize that debbie harry from blondie might be yeah and so it's like multiple la- so she doesn't really have to do that much yeah and she really doesn't but she's very she's good she's very yeah. good i i don't think she needs to do that much and i think if she had tried to do more it wouldn't have worked so yeah. well like I think this the subtlety and the sort of low keyness of her performance is what makes her seductive. Like yeah. you can understand why Max is infatuated with her because she's a weird person. She's a weird, compelling, beautiful presence that seems to exist on a slightly different planet than everybody else mm-hmm. around her. Um I also think it's really interesting that she is a radio host. Yeah. Who does a show called Emotional Rescue. On C-Ram? On C-Ram. <laughs> it's not pronounced cram, no. you guys. Nope. C-Ram. C-Ram. Um but it seems like a like like she does she does this radio show where she talks to people in deep emotional crises. Mhm. And they even have like the the emotional rescue crisis hotline yes. or something. Yeah. Like so, this is what she does all the time. This is her job: is mm. to to be on the other end, receiving other people's emotional pain. So the idea that like she's taking in all of these people's 
trauma and and like mental distress and she finds an outlet for it by physically harming herself kind of makes sense to me as like she's trying to exist in this sort of closed circuit of like people dump all their their emotional stuff in into me and i give nothing out like she's kind of a cipher yeah outside of it and she just wants to be hurt but we don't get anything else from her. She's yeah. just like, I have to absorb all of this. She's, she's a very like, controlled presence. Yeah, she, but oh. she's also like a social sin eater. She's just like absorbing right. all of this stuff and, and something has to give. There's also, I always I always found that scene where he goes to meet her at the radio station mm-hmm. kind of odd because the way that she's dressed, she kind of looks like she's been working out. Yeah, <laughs> Like I couldn't yeah. tell if that was just an outfit or if she's wearing gym clothes. Because she's got like a, like it's kind of like a sweatshirt yeah. and like a headband kind of thing. And I keep thinking she's kind of like sweaty. And well, yeah. And I, I think given, given the fact that we usually see her as very put together and like poised, I think it, that might be a little bit of a nod to how difficult her job is. Mm. That it's like a physical, it's like running a marathon mm-hmm. for her. So like you got to be, got to be in your comfortable clothes. She paces around the studio while she talks to people trying to talk them off the ledge. Mm-hmm. And who knows how many hours of this she does at a time. Right. So it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of an interesting, interesting way to see her in that moment. Yeah. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say about her? Uh, she's great. <laughs> no notes. No notes. <laughs> yeah, I I find I I find her to be. Um, I'm I'm always surprised at how quickly she's kind of out of the movie. I mean, she's not really ever really really out of the movie, but she's she becomes a more of a of a ghostly presence yeah pretty quick she's only got like two or three scenes where she's interacting with james woods right and then after in the, that in the she's old kind flesh of, anyway yeah she's kind of co-opted as as like an image or a tool <clears throat> yeah after that there's no saying like is any part of this really nikki or is all of this just his hallucinations mm-hmm. or some manipulation of her image to manipulate him yeah i always find I also find it strange, not strange, but she throws around the word lover a lot. Yes. Like someone would say buddy or pal. Yeah. And I've seen that in movies a mm. few times. I have never se- ever encountered somebody who does that in real life. <laughs> Calls people lover? Yeah. Blech. And it always sounds strange to me. Yeah, it's not. Thanks, lover. Yeah. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> like if you were just at like McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And you the you turn to the person next to you. He's like, "Could you hand me one of those napkins?" And they pass to him and go, "Thanks, lover." Blech. Yeah, like I've just been sexually harassed. <laughs> um, I do find I find I find the female characters in this movie really fascinating mm-hmm. because I actually think this is one of Cronenberg's movies that's nicest to women. Ironically, um, <clears throat> yeah, probably. <laughs> there's there's some movies where he's not necessarily overtly cruel to women mm-hmm. but in this they seem like a more i don't know the, the point the point of this movie is not quite so much like ah <laughs> what are women bleh, what, what is what's with them they're all yeah. weird i don't i don't understand and i don't get their parts and i don't get imagine how imagine if you were like them but 
in your chest. Yeah. <laughs> but even then, it's it's not you know the 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 women in the movie are not either just completely monstrous or completely like do you know what i mean yeah i think i think generally his the thing with the the women in his movies they tend to be clearly um elements of mystery Mm. and uh the unknown Mm -hmm. which ends up putting them in a strange uh uh, category because i would say just off the top of my head the only movie of his that I can really think of from like his golden period anyway, where the main character is a woman mm-hmm. is the fly. And that's only like, that's like a co-lead. Yeah. You know, but like, I yeah, think. And that's also not an original concept of, of his. True. Yeah. True. And I, but I do feel in that movie, she's uh, Gina Davis in that movie is not treated the same way. I think she's more of an, a, a, an actual person mm-hmm. than in most of his movies but yeah, yeah there's generally the female characters tend to be um objects of the unknown and mystery and yeah. i i don't really feel that in this as much as some other ones yeah nikki kind of is but th- the mystery is less about her specifically and that's more the thing. about what yeah. happened to her yeah. and like where she has gone yeah um, but like you get Bridie, Bridie Jones, his girl yes. Friday, yes. um, who I love and wish had more of a mo- more moments in this movie. Um, I'm going to start asking my girlfriend to leave me wake up tapes <laughs> that has your first appointment of the day on it and, and reminders not to forget to take out the trash or whatever. Yeah. It's just going to say, Clay, it's time to get up. You've got, well, nothing, nothing really to do today. <laughs> That's a lie. Um, but like B- Bianca Oblivion, mm-hmm. I really like. I great name, and I like her as a character. Mm. Like I think she's different than a lot of the other women in in some of Cronenberg's stuff. Where like, yes, she's kind of she's kind of a symbol of mystery, but she's again she's more the keeper of a mystery. Yes, than she is the mystery itself. <clears throat> yeah, and she's like more active like she's trying to preserve her father's legacy she's got the cathode ray mission that she's trying to do something good for society with she's curating all her father's tapes and kind of sending them out and as she says doing her best to try and keep him alive i love that concept yeah because i remember the last time i think one of the last times i i had watched this one of the other things that stood out to me in a contemporary fashion was for some reason, I don't know if I if I knew someone who had died mm-hmm. or what, but I started thinking about the idea of passing away, but your online presence remaining. Yeah. Like the idea of these Facebook pages that still exist, that you can still interact with. I mean, it's even more intense than that now. Apparently, people have tried to like train chatbots. Off yeah. of other people's like chat logs. Well, and it's emails like that, that and... episode of Black Mirror yeah. with um, what's his name, Donald Gleason and yep. uh, Haley Atwell, which is a f- man fucking brutal. It's yeah, really, really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's this, it it is this kind of modern idea of life after death in a way where it's like, well, are you? 
dead right if you still exist in some form or is this thing that exists in your place now completely um inhuman and completely like a, right. is, is this something new is this right. you know is 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 bianca cutting up these tapes to create new things her father says mm-hmm. the furthering of his being or is it just this ghastly monster right or is it not even a ghastly mm-hmm. monster but just sort of inert yeah like, is harold ramus showing up as a ghost in the new ghostbusters movie a touching tribute yeah or a, a, an inhuman ghastly display right of technology all, all, got of, awry. all of the tupac hallucination yes uh, um holograms hallucinations too um but yeah it's it's sort of the difference between like you know saying saying you want to have video or audio or letters or whatever Mm. from a loved one when they pass because it makes you feel like you still have a part of them the difference is having something that seems seems to respond to you in new ways Mm. then it's kind of like wait (laughs) like where where have we gone now yeah how who is this for yeah, that's the that's always the answer. The, the thing, right? Like, is right. the the preservation of something after you die is not for you, right? The dead person, right? It's for the people who loved you or whose life you were a part of, right? And in the in in Videodrome, Bianca's justification is that her father still has so much to give to society, mm-hmm. and she thinks she needs to keep him alive as a way to fight against Videodrome. Yeah, I would love personally to see a Bianca Oblivion movie. Yeah. I, there's so much interesting stuff going on over there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, her whole setup. It's like, wait, how did you get here? <laughs> like, what are you showing people on TV? Are you just you just showing them what's on, you know, Channel 4 or whatever? Yeah. Like, how does this work? Why does it work? Who's working with you? Like, she's got staff right. at the mission. So these people clearly also believe in what she's doing. What else is on all those tapes? Yeah. Yeah. She thinks people are coming to kill her, and yep. obviously they they are because they send Max to kill her. <laughs> yeah. What uh, how, What did you think of uh, Barry Convex and uh, Harlan? <laughs> I they're such weird characters. I think the Harlan turn is is actually pretty well done. Yeah, I like I like him. Yeah, and and when he turns on Max, it's both surprising and believable. Yeah, like it all kind of fits together. When when you see it, because it does make very little sense that he's somehow the only person in the entire world who magically can tap into this signal. Do you, um, are you aware of, I was going to look this up before we started, but I forgot. F. <laughs> F for this episode, you fail. Yeah, well. <laughs> there was um, a period of time, I think around this era, mm-hmm. where what Harlan was doing was something, that, it was like the early days of hacking. Yeah. Where, you know, the, there were some people who were hacking into phone lines and stuff. Oh, yeah. And there were other people who were hacking into video signals and, and transmitted TV signals. Yeah. And uh, there's one instance. I don't remember where it happened. I apologize, everybody. <laughs> I know you're probably screaming at me. Where um, someone hacked into a signal of a Doctor Who episode, I think, hmm. and pirated the signal and for like 10 or 15 seconds broadcast their own signal and it's like super fucking creepy. It's like Ooh. it's like I think it was like the the guy from Max Headroom 
but the the dialogue that was on top of it was like really weird and ominous Ooh. and i think ultimately it, they figured out what it was in, yeah. in the years that passed and it was just kind of a goof but it was one of those things where it's like if you were just sitting at home watching your episode of doctor who yeah and that cut in yeah, yeah. that's like my nightmare yeah the aliens are here and they're going to kill us yeah, yeah. It, the, I, i've probably said before i'm sure we've we've come across this kind of thing somewhere in our episodes but mm-hmm. the idea of breaking that fourth wall mm-hmm. especially in your own home in a yeah. way that you're not ready for yeah terrifying to me yeah uh, over, uh, from something you think you have total control over yeah one time in college back when this stuff i don't know if these things keep going they're probably a lot more malicious now but mm. um a friend of mine sent me this link mm-hmm. and told me it was for one thing and i clicked on it and my computer mm-hmm. freaked out opened like 15,000 windows and my CD drive opened and I lost my fucking mind. Like I, it was like, I felt, I felt the hand come through the electricity waves or whatever. And that's really interesting because that's not the same as like nowadays getting like Rick rolled or whatever. Right. Um, because it's sort of a passive experience now having a piece of hardware in your home actually move is very different you know yes like having the cd because the cd drive used to be the disc holder that would pop out and extend out of the tower of the computer so like it's not Nowadays, most disk drives, you just, if you even still have one, I don't really have you just like slide the disk in and then you hit the little button to have it come out. That This was like a piece that would come out of the tower and it's like, oh, somebody has gained physical control of an item in my house. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. yeah that's I can't wait for my Alexa to start talking to me. <laughs> Floating in the air, following you through the rooms. Just uh, just for um, completion's sake. Mm. Uh, the Max Headroom signal hijacking occurred on the night of November 22nd, 1987. Ooh, that's when Kennedy died. Anniversary. Uh, what does that mean? Coincidence? <laughs> when the television signals of two stations of Ch- in Chicago, Illinois, mm. were hijacked, briefly sending a pirate broadcast of an unidentified person wearing a Max Headroom mask and costume to thousands of home viewers. You can see the picture. Yeah, right it's here. pretty That's terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. If that just busted in on my like late night watch of my like comfort TV show. Yeah. No, thank you. Plopping down to watch a nice episode yeah. of old Doctor Who. Yes. And then no. Yeah. And no, then that you. comes up on your screen. All your kids are crying. And this is 87. So this is four years after Videodrome. So yeah. Anyway. Um. <laughs> Yeah, Harlan's another one where he says Patron a lot. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't think people talk like this. No, they don't. <laughs> and if I if I had a per- if I knew a person who ended it's every like sentence, somebody share all the time. Yeah, well, I guess <laughs> let's not jump to conclusions about bad. I guess. Uh, yeah, I I love um, Barry Convex. Yeah, and that the the, the uh, glasses conference. My fa- one of my favorite great. lines is when he when um, he's telling him about his business and he says Mm -hmm. we make inexpensive glasses for third world countries and missile guidance systems for nato yeah (laughs) i also find that there's so you've got barry convex and then you've got masha Mm -hmm. and they're both producing these like shows yeah that are based in pretty far back history so like Masha's softcore porn is apollo and dionysus Mm -hmm. and it's all of these like women you know Naked women being nymphs and like dudes in like a sheer toga. Um, 
and it's this very kind of hokey softcore porn thing and then you see the stage show for mm-hmm. the Medici line. Yes. And everybody starts off in these sort of Italian Renaissance costumes and then they take them off and mm-hmm. they're in skimpy little leotards doing a dance number. These two things are not that far apart from one another. Correct. And I love that. And I love that like a big deal is not made about it. What you're saying is at your conferences, you want to see <laughs> more topless dancers. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, whatever. All the conferences I go to. Hey, another <laughs> another platform. Run on it. You'll win. Here we go. Topless everyone at conferences. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I love how it highlights Barry Convex's hypocrisy without mm-hmm. really having to hammer it home too hard. It's just kind of put out there. And then he's shot to death and his body cracks open and erupts in what looks like tumors. Yeah. So it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> This is the guy who's saying he's going to use this signal to get rid of all the weak and the soft and all the undesirables who would watch this filth. But he is also filled with tumors. Mm -hmm. So does that imply that he has also been watching all of this filth? I don't know. Maybe the gun shoots tumors. <laughs> that would that's a very David Cronenberg thing. It's like this gun yeah. actually just shoots tumors. Yeah, this gun people. does shoot t- tumors. Have you ever seen Existence? No. We should watch Existence at some point. It's uh it came out the same weekend as The Matrix mm. and has a lot of similar themes as The Matrix. Mm-hmm. I've seen it once. Um, I don't remember a ton about it. I just remember the weird styling on the title. Yeah, like, we're gonna make the X and the Z big. Yeah, Everything it was else is gonna be small. It was definitely they were trying to shoehorn David Cronenberg into late '90s style, yes. which yes. not a great fit. <laughs> um, the only thing I really remember is that at a certain point, Jude Law's character um, is in this sort of like I I can't remember what the deal is, but anyway, he's got. He has these things he knows how to do, but he doesn't know how, he doesn't know why he knows how to do them. Yeah. And he's at dinner and he's eating this chicken. Mm-hmm. And as he's eating the chicken and piecing, you know, taking the meat off the bones, mm-hmm. he realizes he's using the bones to make a gun. <laughs> and then he reaches into his own mouth and pulls out his bridge work oh. of like five teeth and pops it into the handle of the gun like a clip. Oh my god. And so he makes a chicken bone gun that shoots teeth. <laughs> Which is one of the most David Cronenberg. Yeah, things that's I can an think extremely of. Cronenberg sentence that you just said. Wow, <laughs> sounds fun. Um, but yeah, speaking of tumors, yeah, and ex- exploding and goopiness, and chest, gina dentata. Yes, uh, the special effects in this, mm-hmm. A plus. Yep, Rick Baker, obviously master. Um, They're so goopy. <clears throat> Yeah, you know it's it's interesting. Goop. The the chest cavity thing, more like an abdomen. Abdomen cav- abdomen cavity, cavity uh, is is very memorable. But the thing that is the most memorable because it's on all the posters, I think, is the TV. Mm. Yeah, the, the TV that pulsates and yeah, you, know, you can yeah. stick your face into. And <laughs> it's such a cool effect. It's yeah. It's all so. <laughs> It's so unnerving. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I find it... Because, you know, like, we've had, like, the, the torture porn subgenre of horror movies has been around for a while now. Mm-hmm. And some of those things are hard to watch, mm-hmm. right? Like, you watch some of the hostile movies or some of the Saw movies and some of the stuff they have people do. You just... You, you cringe and you look away and it's just like, ugh, mm-hmm. ugh. I don't want to watch somebody d- gouge their own eyeball out to get a key from the back of their eye socket. Um... But I find most of that stuff less memorable. Yeah. 
And then there's stuff like this that just does the right combination of that, like, nightmare logic, uncanniness, and it, that ju- it just sticks with you. And yeah. there's something, even though it's not bloody, really, I think the only time any of it... I mean, there's there's some blood, but it's not as bloody as you would expect. Right, yeah. But there is something, like, everything pulsates. Yes. Everything sort of... He's big on pulsating, yes. Pulsates and, like, exhales. Lots of, like, sighs and, yeah. like, squishes. It's really gross. Yeah. Yeah, the, the pulsating tape, videotape, mm-hmm. is, is interesting. Yeah. Um, I love the first time one of the videotapes pulsates and James Woods is just like, what the fuck? Yeah. The thing <laughs> I've always found the most hilarious is when Harlan sticks his hand inside... Mm. James Woods and pulls out his hand has been turned into a grenade yes like a a disgusting flesh grenade like rather than a a cassette player James Woods abdomen is now a 3d printer yeah it doesn't just like bite his hand off which is what I thought it was gonna do right exactly yeah Yeah. it turns it into a a grenade yes that then explodes and blows him up yes um yeah it's all all excellent Mm -hmm. um I guess how do you feel about the ending I, it's tough. It's mm. tough to. I, I feel like it's tough to talk about this stuff in any kind of like minute detail, only because like yeah. I think once you frame it as oh this is a delusion, you're watching, you're, you're taking part in the destruction of a mind due to, due to delusion. Uh-huh. It's like it doesn't it doesn't really matter what happens. It's like yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And if you want to argue that somehow in the world of this movie. There really is a quote unquote new flesh mm-hmm. that that Max is going to ascend to along with Nikki, which like I don't believe is what this movie is really going for. But mm-hmm. like if you want to have that interpretation, it's still just so so esoteric and vague to, to go yeah. in that direction that it's tough to talk about. Um But yeah, the the ending is kind of the only ending this movie can have apparently there he didn't know how to end it fair and uh (laughs) his one of his early thoughts was to have i think it was nikki max maybe a couple of the other characters basically have Mm. what sounded like it was going to be the grand shunting of like a big (laughs) orgy yeah where they've all uh, it, it sounds it sounds like a very much a first draft of a Cronenberg thing. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, what if they all have an orgy, but they've got like weird new sex organs? It's like, yeah, all right. and they all just kind of melt together. Yeah, it's like, all right, David, good warm up. Yeah, let's go back to the drawing board <laughs> on that one. It's like tweak that, dial yeah. it back a little bit, tune it in. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I I, I think by the end of this movie, <clears throat> excuse me, there is nowhere for Max to go. Yeah. Like there's there's no coming back from this. Like he has fully sank into his delusions or fully been absorbed into this other kind of shadow world where things like Videodrome are manipulating people on a genetic level. Um, and either way, you don't just roll back into your old life. Right. Like you've killed your business partners. You've killed these other guys. You blew a hole in a wall <laughs> using yeah. a hand grenade that's literally a hand made into a grenade. <laughs> Um. So yeah, I mean, he. I think it, by the end he has to die. Mm-hmm. I think what the ending tries to do is give him some agency back. 
by yeah. kind of showing him an option and allowing him to choose it for himself. Yeah. I don't know how far that interpretation really works, but I think it's trying to let him kind of go out on his own terms a little more so than if like Harlan had shot him. Sure. You know? Right, yeah. Or the cops gunned him down. Yeah, if he dies at the yeah. the eyewear conference right right or he try he he kills harlan and convex he escapes but eventually the cops find him and yeah. there's a big and you know he yells long live the new flesh and gets gunned down uh, exactly by the yeah, yeah. And they all just crouch behind their cars shoot at him over the hood and yeah. he that's dies. that's the thing that's in that's that's kind of um i find ambiguous as well is that, that phrase long live the new flesh is something that comes from bianca right yeah and it is said in a very sort of, um, uh, what's the word, uh, triumphant kind of manner. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know that it is necessarily the stuff that she's selling is any more something you want to ascend to than right. whatever Barry's selling, you know? Right. I mean, at least her, it's sort of like, you. it's, it's, so it's like. Who is going to be in charge of this destructive thing? Mm -hmm. It's either the people who are going to use it to censor and destroy people or the people who are going to try and use it to somehow better society Mm -hmm. is, is kind of how it boils down. Their methods might also be bad. (laughs) Like like no one is, no one is morally safe in, in this world. Like nobody is pure good. Right. But there's Barry convex and there's, Bianca and Professor Oblivion and they at least think that television can be harnessed to reintroduce people into society to reconnect people to humanity in some some way whereas Barry's crew is like no we're going to give everybody brain tumors yeah so it's kind of like when you have that choice there's really only one direction you can go in if you want to at least have some sort of net positive effect mm. The interesting thing is I don't know how much Max chooses either of them. Oh, yeah. Sure. Like absolutely. He's, he's he, kind of just programmed yeah. and then reprogrammed. So it's right. like the same question you apply to Nikki applies to Max by the end, which mm-hmm. is how much of what you're seeing is really him. Right. And how much of this is just him, his image, literally his body, which is the, the actuality of your image, has been co-opted. And is under the control of other forces. And like, does he even have any autonomy by the, by the end of the movie? Yeah. I don't know. You know, I find it fascinating, this movie fascinating, because this is not something I think you can remake. Because I don't know exactly how this stuff was received at the time. But like, imagine... Imagine doing this movie now. I'm not even saying remake it. Like, yeah. imagine if this it didn't exist and they just made it today. Imagine the scene where he goes to the cathode ray mission, uh-huh. which wouldn't be called that. It would right. be called something, you right. know, the, the yeah. bit bar mission or something. <laughs> and everybody's, like, they're handing out smartphones to people. Yeah. You'd be go like, this is so fucking stupid. This is so incredibly on the nose and yeah. dumb. But for some reason, I don't know if it's, because of the fact that this is 40 years ago or if, mm-hmm. if because of the fact that it's all analog technology i don't know what it is but it just it it feels so much more impactful than if you tried to do the same thing now it would just come off as really kind of cheap and lame well i i really do think this movie is i, I think this movie's great 
But I think at this point, especially the way you and I have been talking about it, um, it's really benefiting from being a hindsight sure. thing. Yeah. Where it just so happened that it really was kind of on the nose about right, yeah. about things that were that are now huge problems, even more so than they were when this movie came out. Yeah. The trick is that that's really difficult to replicate mm-hmm. because you would have to try and use today's technology to say something about what you think these very specific problems are going to become right several decades in the future it it really is a speculative work yeah in in the way that he just so happened to be corrected about, about a right. bu- not everything but about a bunch of stuff yeah he does project yeah. into the future in a way where i feel like a lot of science fiction that tries to do this kind of stuff mm-hmm. now I don't know if it's because like we are at a point in history or if you want to call it, we are a point at a point in the future mm-hmm. where it is, we have advanced so much. It's actually harder to speculate what's next. Change happens so fast. Yeah. Now. Because I feel like a lot, a lot of these things, science fiction stuff now is, is more kind of like, yes, that is what it's like right now. And yeah. less than it is. This is what we might be looking at in the future. It's funny because this this kind of reminds me of um so Margaret Atwood wrote a trilogy that's sort of a speculative sci-fi trilogy. It's really mm-hmm. great. Um, but the first book came out, and then it was quite a while before the second and the third books came out. Mm. In my opinion, the first book of the trilogy is the best one. She put that book out before smartphones were really a pervasive thing if i recall correctly Mm. what's the name of the book oryx and crake oryx and crake yes that's where i bought all my dishware (laughs) it's the cool bar down the street where you can get a 15 dollar cocktail um in the second book all of a sudden she starts including the mention i don't think she calls them iphones specifically Mm. But she starts talking about like personal computing phones or something, you know, like that's that's a worse phrase than she uses. She uses something that's like fine, but when you already live in a world where everybody has a smartphone, Mm -hmm. you would just say smartphone. And in the book, they're the same thing. And it's almost like it was more believable and easier to immerse yourself in in the first book where there was no talk about smartphones cell phones she talked about the internet obviously Mm -hmm. they you know that was part of it but it wasn't it was left in a more vague way that you could kind of let your imagination fill in the gaps when she started trying to put more specific names on it it felt more dated yeah and i think that's the difficulty with this kind of thing where it's like once you start naming things you're already making them obsolete yes absolutely yeah yeah Yeah, and i think what 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 this movie gets right to is it, it doesn't, um, well, the stuff that is presenting to to us is so, uh, what's so abstract Mm -hmm. that it's not like someone pulls out something and says, this is an iPhone. This is a personal, uh, it's, it's a lot more abstract. It's more, um, a lot more thematic and using the, the modern technology of the time to tell, a speculative story about the future yeah and not just rooting it in 
it's like a phone, but it's also a computer and you keep it in your pocket. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no sort of like, soon we plan on having tiny televisions implanted in everyone's forearms so that they can watch it every day. You know, right. like it's not. It doesn't go to that. Yeah. Right. It's just sort of saying like, no, 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 there's this technology and we're going to figure out a way and we're going to use it to do X. The, the only time they do that is with that giant headpiece thing. Yes. And and you, you're just like, well, that's just that, that's never going to happen. So right. this is just weird enough that now we don't even and, and it comes at a point where you're like, is this even really happening? Right. Does right. it even really matter if it's really happening? Let's just roll with it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, watching it this time, um, I actually kind of feel like it's a bit of a sister film to uh, They Live because I yeah. feel like They Live is kind of all about glasses. Yep, well, all about glasses. There's uh there's all about a TVs. T- TVs, TV signals. There's mm. a um a church that deals with uh what's the word again? Not vagrants. Derelicts. Derelicts. Um if only Max Wren had run into John Nada. Ah, there you go. Then maybe maybe these happen they in the same, taken down the same universe. The video drum. Yeah. <laughs> uh that that article by Walter Chaw Mm. that I mentioned earlier, I just wanted to pull out one thing that I thought was was interesting. It says, among the many brilliant things about Videodrome is when Max imagines impossible things, Cronenberg portrays them as, quote, real in the body of his work, thus aligning Max's point of view with ours and suggesting in doing so that our brains are being damaged in the act of watching Videodrome the movie in the same way that Max's is in the act of watching Videodrome in the movie. Mm -hmm. The idea driving Mm -hmm. Videodrome is that the moment technology allowed individuals to consume only what they wanted to consume, they would become intellectually frozen and ideologically perverse. Yeah. I mean, I feel that way about a lot of people these days. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I, you know, I myself included at times. I don't yeah, think again. I don't I think any of us are immune to this. I was like, going to say we could talk about this for another half an hour, but yeah. it's like I hate the fact that like I when I'm watching a movie. Yeah. I I remember when they first started uh, doing like the thing, the third screen type stuff, where it's like on Amazon. If you want, mm. you can hit pause and like look up stuff and so actors and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, who the fuck is going to want to do that while they're watching a movie? And now every time I'm watching something, yeah. my hand drifts over to my phone. Yep. Pulls my phone over. Yep. Oh, what's he from? IMDb. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was in that. Oh, this is only two years after that other thing that I saw him in. Yep. The, you know who that guy is? That's the guy from. That's the guy from Boston Legal. Yeah. No, not the. No, not him. Like the third lead. <laughs> yeah. Wait. When did Boston Legal come out? How long was that on TV again? Yeah. You know, and you just fall. You fall down these like rabbit holes while yeah. you're watching a whole separate thing. Yeah. It makes me angry that I do it, but. Yeah. You know, that's hard, where we are, hard. unfortunately. Again. Uh, the music, obviously, by Walter Shore. Mm. Uh, it's okay. I don't love it. Yeah, I don't really even remember it very well. Yeah, I was trying to listen to it for a bit, and it's got, there's a certain, I love synthes- synthesizer soundtracks, Yeah. but there is a certain style of synthesizer soundtrack, try saying that multiple times very quickly. No thanks. Um, that I just hate because it always sounds cheap. It's. I think some of the music in this movie did make me think of like the RPGs I've played that yeah. were from like the year two thousand and three. Yeah, it's when they use synthesizers to try and emulate um, string sound, like actual mm-hmm. instruments. It always sounds bad. I yeah. think anyway. I think it always sounds cheesy. Uh, and it, there's some of that in here which I didn't love. But yeah. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we wrap it up? 
I don't think so. I th- like you said, I think we could just keep going on this this yeah. one. This one is a rich text, as the kids like to say. How do you feel about the placement? It is number, what did I say, 170? Yeah. Number 170, high or lower off the list? I feel I feel pretty good about where it is. Yeah. Would you call this yeah. a horror movie? think i think so yeah i don't know what else you would call it <laughs> yeah it's i feel like cronenbergs are, are tough to categorize it's, it's sort of a more horror movie if you think about it and you let yourself be put in in max's position like if, if you really let yourself think about what it would be like to be him and to be losing your grip on reality the way yeah. he is and and experiencing the changes to his body that he is being forced to experience and his, his loss of free will. Like, I think if you can kind of try to empathize with him, you can see why this is a horror movie. Yeah. I feel like you could say science fiction, but if you were to do that, it would have an asterisk. And then the explanation would start with when Marshall McLuhan published his landmark (laughs) and then like a paragraph (laughs) to explain why this is science fiction. Yes. An academic treatise attached to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How do you feel about the placement? I think it's good where it is. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it's in such a weird pocket. Yeah. That I wouldn't want to put it higher on the list towards number one. Um, but I also, you know, I think it's a good movie. I think it's, it's, it, it's really, it is so well developed. Mm-hmm. And that's a weird way to phrase it. But I think it's just like a total package. Like Cronenberg yeah. clearly had a really specific vision yeah. for how he wanted everything in this movie to go how he wanted things to look how mm-hmm. he wanted the sets to look like and it, it really is when you look at it in its totality a pretty impressive film i think it's one of his um first really good looking movies too yeah because i his early movies i don't think are very visually yeah not like, really scanners is not really that great looking yeah. and even the brood the brood is getting there yeah but there are still... moments of brilliance in the brood yes. but it's still very kind of like there's still some kind normal. of blah. Yeah. <laughs> but this, yeah. like, all the stuff at night with, with him and Debbie Harry in the apartment's really nice looking. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would agree. I think it's a... Uh, without taking into account any movies that are listed higher or lower, mm-hmm. I would say 170 is a pretty good place to put this. Yeah. Uh, I hit the randomizer button. Beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, boop. And up next, we will be going to number 86. Mm-hmm. We will be heading... Um, I don't know if I'd call it overseas because the land in which this movie takes place doesn't actually exist. It's more of a fairy tale land created on the Universal backlot in the 1940s. We will be watching <gasps> The Wolfman. <gasps> Yay! Which I'm very excited about. Yay, Wolfman. That's awesome. Yeah, I love The Wolfman. Super pumped. I like that. That's that's a fun turn from this one into into something a little more yeah. classic. Videodrome also in my head. Hmm. I only think of this because these, like, Wolfman, I think, is pretty short. Videodrome, in my head, it's like, that yeah. movie's like two hours. Yes. It's like 86 minutes. Yeah. It is a fast movie. I had the same exact reaction where I was like, man, I remember this being kind of a slog to yeah. get through It real fast. And then when I watched it, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> they, so this is less than 90 minutes. They pull great. in the first scene where he sees Videodrome, like, in yeah. the static, is yeah. like, Maybe 10 minutes in yeah, the movie. Yeah, you're like six, yeah. seven minutes into the movie. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, uh, thank you guys for listening. If you'd like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash the Penske file where you can uh, f- follow along as Amanda and I delve into uh, the video nasties list, 
what month is this? September. Uh, September, <laughs> we will be doing Dario Argento's Inferno. Mm. In August, we did Toby Hooper's The Fun House. The aforementioned. Aforementioned Fun House. July was July, Bay of Blood, I think. Sounds Mario right. Mario Bava's Bay of Blood. Yeah. Some pretty heavy hitter names in there. Yeah. Um, Sleepaway all Camp. Oh, surprisingly. No, that was on the main yeah, feed. That was we, on the, the main, main feed. That was a wild card, oh, yeah. That's right. I All pretty good for the most part. Yeah. We, we differed in opinion on Funhouse a bit, but I think yeah. for the most part, we've been enjoying everything we've seen. Yeah, I definitely haven't sunk to the mental depths yeah. that some of the Friday the 13th or the uh, second string of Stephen King movies took yeah. me to. I don't know if you can say you en- uh, one can enjoy Possession, but yeah. I think as, cl- as close as you can get to enjoying Possession is probably where I am I with think possession. there's a level of appreciation yes. one can have. Yes. Yes. Um, so with that glowing recommendation, yes, please. please follow along. <laughs> uh, but thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Clay. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.